This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. I'm Poonam Verma. On the show today, I talk to Brendan Stubbs. He's a physiotherapist and an advocate for research when it comes to activity, movement and how it affects mental health. We also are talking to some mompreneurs helping you moms wanting to start a business Pets and vets, as usual on Wednesday, Dr. Vito and animal behaviourist Anna is joining us on the show. And we're finding out about a mindful walk taking place courtesy of Dr. Joe Dispenza. So we're live on Facebook now, so you can actually go on there and check out this interview. I am currently with uh, Professor Dr. Brendan Stubbs, seems too young, to, young looking to be calling him that. He's a physiotherapist and acclaimed mental health researcher focused on the impact of physical act- activity and how it affects our mental health. And he is one of the most cited researchers in the world. And we're very lucky to have him with us live in the studio. He's flown in from London. How are you? Delighted to be here. So when did you fly in? Uh, I flew in this morning from Saudi Arabia. So, oh, did you? Oh, what were you doing there? Uh, we had another event talking about what we're going to talk about today, about the power of exercise and movement on the mind. So for, so you're here for um, an event with ASICS, Movement for Mind, right? Before we get into that, you are a physiotherapist. Um, I know what a physiotherapist does, but at what point did you realise the link for more movement affected mental health? Were you using different ways of treating your patients or did you always know that as a physiotherapist? No, we were taught loads about the body and what to do when the body's in pain or having difficulty. But uh, I was really fortunate when I graduated to go and work in a mental health hospital for people really struggling with their mental health. Wow. And I just really saw the power, you know, every 20 years ago, just how much movement and exercise could really help people who were really at a great low. And I just thought, this is for me. I could make a real difference here. And then here I am now, you know, a few years later. So what is this event that you're doing with ASICS, Movement for Mind? Yeah, so uh, ASIC stands for Asanami Sana in Sana, which means a sound mind, sound body. So their ethos, all about sound mind, sound body, is very much in line with all of the research which I've been doing independently. Um, and essentially, we're talking about uh, you know a research project which we did uh, looking at something called Mind Games, which is a documentary uh, on Amazon Prime and also on YouTube now, mm-hmm. looking at the relationship between exercise and cognitive function yeah. um, for people and loads of exciting work. So I want to know... Tell me some of the research that you found, some things that will, we probably do know when it comes to exercise, food, sleep, but just interesting stats, facts and things that might blow, us, blow our mind when it comes to movement and how it affects our mental health. So I'll tell you three things very briefly. So there's really robust no, evidence. No, don't briefly. Let's go into this. <laughs> okay. Okay. Get your, get your stopwatch ready. So there's, there's really good evidence that we've shown that uh, being more active and engaging in sport can protect you from having mental health conditions in the future by around 15 to 30%. So really good evidence in the long term, whether you're a young person, working age or older age. It doesn't matter what geographical continent you are, what gender you are. Mm. Really robust evidence. And we've done other work showing that if you are struggling with your mental health, perhaps you have depression, anxiety or stress, as a frontline treatment, it can be just as effective as some other approaches, such as medication, but with less side effects. Yeah, this is the thing. I would never have thought if someone's depressed or down, say, go and see a physiotherapist at all. It wouldn't be my first port of call. 
No, but we're very much changing that. And I think, you know, that's one of the great things about looking at the mind and body together is we can use these unique approaches. And one of the, like, really cool stats, because you were really, like, wanting to know some stats was... Oh, I do. So many people think that you have to exercise for a really long period of time or over, a, you know, over many weeks. But actually, we've shown that just 15 minutes and 9 seconds, you can get a meaningful uplift in your mental health. And how many of you, you know, your listeners can have 15 minutes and 9 seconds today just to get their heart up and racing? So I started um, EMS and, you know, the thing is, I don't like the gym. I love doing outdoor sports because but the weather here, sometimes it's difficult in the summer. But I wanted to do something where I'm getting a good benefit of workout, but I'm not spending like five days a week in a gym. I just find the whole thing so boring. So I started EMS. It's literally 20, 25 minutes uh, twice a week and that's it. And it's been amazing for me, right? So it's, it's short spurts can really make an effect. And I could I, also my energy levels went up. But I could feel like, I don't know if a happy hormone is being released. What is being released when we're exercising? Because I feel good. And there's really good science behind why you feel good. Um, I just think that what's been published so far, and we've done lots of this, is not quite the truth. So many people may have heard of what's called the quote-unquote runner's high and release of endorphins. Mm. And actually endorphins are released when you engage in exercise and that makes you feel good. But they have difficulty crossing what's known as a blood-brain barrier and exerting their effect. And it's actually due to many more other mechanisms, such as stimulating your brain directly and generating new nerve cells, release of like brain fertilizers called BDNF, and many, many, many other mechanisms. So we're downselling or underplaying the benefits of exercise on the mind if we just say it's due to one molecule, mm. but there's really robust science behind it. So, you know, when um, I've had a lot of friends who've come to me who said um, they can't get pregnant and I told them try acupuncturist and on two of my friends it actually worked. So I don't know if there's like an energy release or that there's something that is blocked or whatever. There's, there is something about it. If somebody was down or depressed or they're in a way of thinking and they come to you, are there like simple physio movements you can do to release that tension or release... I don't know, not, not the mindset, but do something that shifts them in some way, something blocked. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you addressed a really important point earlier, talking very much about doing activities that you enjoy. And if you're sort of feeling down, low, flat, demotivated, the thought of, you know, even going 20, 25 minutes or going to the gym feels really difficult. So mm. very much the message when I work with people who are really low is find an activity you can do. And that could just be going for a walk, you know, a, a brief walk for you know two minutes with a friend. And then once you get started, you can start to build up from that. And that just helps you get going and in the habit of changing your behavior. So it's small things can make a big difference and you can build upon those and do things that you enjoy do you have a quick fix happy have happy movement we could all do <laughs> absolutely what one of what one 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 fail safe is put on your favorite dance track and then have a little have a little dance there you go oh guess what's coming up soon my ain't, favorite dance track no ain't nobody by shaka khan that's a tune we need to dance to that no but you're actually right actually i was dancing the other day to a really good tune and it does make you feel good and yeah but let, let's talk about the demographic that you deal with um you're based in london that's where your practice is are you seeing a certain age group or demographic or certain people that are more prone to mental health right now in london 
Yeah, so I think it's really interesting because we're seeing many more younger people presenting for help for their mental health. And I think that's also a concern, but it's also an opportunity because we know that most first mental health symptoms you know, typically happen during sort of adolescence or early adulthood. And that's the key time. Early intervention for all people is key. So I think there's a huge opportunity within young people who are often more receptive and aware about mental health conversations and are seeking more help to really make a, you know, a difference in the long term. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity. So I want to delve a bit deeper into this when it comes to being depressed and being sad and the demographic. We're going to be talking more to Dr Brendan. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Spoon and Vermo, till 5pm. I'm joined by Dr Professor Brendan Stubbs. He's a physiotherapist from the UK. He's an acclaimed mental health researcher focused on the impact of how physical activity actually makes a difference on mental health. Dr. Brenton, you were talking about how um, a lot of young people are struggling where you are in London with mental health. I want to ask you what you perceive social media to be when it comes as an impact on these kids. Do they share their experiences with you? Do you think it plays a part? Yeah, well, I think that you know, social media can be a force for good, but more often than not, we're seeing it's a force for not very good, particularly if you're not feeling very good within yourself and your, your self-esteem may be particularly low. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things which des- is designed to capture your attention and to feed into any particular emotions that you're having. And you f- often see people getting caught into these sort of echo chambers within social media. So if you're not feeling good and you've sort of got concerns, perhaps your body's changing during adolescence, as many yeah. of us naturally do, then you're seeing these pictures of other people, friends or, or peers or, or, or people on, online. And it can sort of really play into people's sort of insecurities uh, in that particular time. So it can be a force for good, but it can also be a force for not very good. And one thing that we've also done around sort of social media is, is we've been looking and sort of comparing about what's happening with our brains when we're consuming this. And if you think about oh, the yeah, internet, and, well, basically, if you think about the internet and social media is we're having this mass experiment which we've never had before where we've all got these new devices which are continually plugging in because the brain's a live organism right so you know while you and I are talking while we're consuming social media our brain's continuing to rewire new pathways are developing so we're having this huge you know experiment which we've never had before over the last 20 years or so of you know internet and, and, and the last sort of 10 years or so social media where we're having all of the reward processing areas within our brain completely you know, re, sort of reconstructed in a way where we don't really know where it's going. Are our brains able to cope with all the input we're getting, not only from TV, from radio, from social media, from everywhere? Yeah, well, it's a good point. And I think one of the things that, you know, has really played into both young people and people of all ages is the, uh, you know, difficulty of switching off. So if you think about work or, or school or universities, you know, you'd go home and that would be the end of the day. Yeah, but and now, on Sunday the shops would be closed. Sunday the shops would be closed, but if you want to look before you go to bed or anything else and you look at social media, everybody's there instantly. So switching off is really difficult and our brains need rest. I don't like that instant 24-7 on, to be honest with you. I, I liked the days of... When I think before you you could only text, you couldn't check emails. Do you know what I mean? There was a cutoff point. Now people expect you to always be on call 24 hours a day. And I've had to create my own boundaries. Like I won't answer at a certain time unless it's the boss or Helen, (laughs) you know, or my mom, something like that. Um, It's interesting because I do think when young people, I've said it before, there are, you know, young teenagers that I've come across who want to fit in. um, And sometimes... (laughs) saying they're depressed is not really they're depressed they're just sad and down but they want to fit in with that whole world did you come across 
your friends being having mental health issues when you were younger? Because we didn't use that word growing up. No, we didn't. And it wasn't really a common thing that people would talk about openly. So that's the thing. Do you think it was always around in this volume, because it seems to be everywhere, or we just didn't talk about it? I think it's a bit of both. So I think the more that you go looking for something and something becomes acceptable to talk about, the more cases that you'll naturally find. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like testing for anything. If you start testing, you're going to find more you know, positives within that area. So you, know, you can look at this as a good thing, as more people are seeking help when they perhaps wouldn't have had help before. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, conversely, some people may be getting help or using or relying on things which they perhaps didn't need to, but it may have been a sort of quick fix in the first instance. And mm. I think that's one of the good things about sport and exercise, right? You know, talking about social media, young people spending a lot of time sitting, we know that's not particularly good for our physical and mental health. You know, it's just good for all of our physical and mental health across the sort of spectrum and can help sort of, you know, in capture real-life social um, gatherings as mm. well. And we know that sort of social... Uh, gatherings amongst young people and all people is really important for our physical and our mental health too. Yeah, and I do think we need to kind of forget about this impossible quest for happiness. No one's happy every single day. I mean, I might might post funny, you know, stuff on online and stuff. It's because I am happy that day, but I'm not going to do it every day. And I think we're human. It's okay to have down sad days. It doesn't necessarily mean you're depressed. You're just having a down day. Absolutely, and it's it's called being human. Exactly. You know, you know it's it's impossible to continually be feeling absolutely amazing all of the time because that's not really a human experience. And we didn't come here just to experience one emotion, right? And how would you know what the goods are if you didn't know what the not so goods are? Absolutely. So, what daily tips would you give all of us to keep our mind happy and healthy? So, I think this is applicable across all of the ages. Make time for yourself. Do things that make you particularly happy and not necessarily the quick fix, instant happy, such as getting a like button on social media. But make. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very quickly. But um, make time for you to have, uh, you know, time with your friends if that's what you enjoy. Yeah. You know, fresh air. Um, also, you know, some time for some movement. We've talked mm. a bit about that and how good that is for our physical and mental health. Um, and also prioritise what you're eating that is good and, and getting a good time to switch off from the outside world. OK, um, I can't switch off till 5pm, so I'll, we'll be going for another hour and a half. And if people want to find out more about the event, where can they find this online? So the event is happening um, physically in uh, Go Sport and Nicole Mall uh, later today. And it's all about this documentary called Mind Games, yeah. um, which is this really cool experiment which we did looking at four months of exercise to people who were national or international competitors within mind sports such as chess, e-sports, and didn't engage in exercise. And we wanted to see, can we sharpen the sharpest minds by oh. engaging in exercise and boost their confidence. Can I just be egotistical for a second? What did you find with chess players? So we, we actually included 77 people from 21 countries, including around 10 chess players. And we found that on average, cognitive performance was boosted by about 10%. And people's national and international rankings, because these are all international competitors, went up by about 75%. So people's brains are working better as a result of exercise and also their performance in their chosen mind games is there. So it really plays into that sound mind, sound body philosophy. So you're saying that chess players are quite intelligent? They're very sharp. intelligent. They're very intelligent and, and sharp in their particular you, field. Exercise can sharpen them even more. You described me because I used to be a chess champion up until the age of 12. There you go. Ego boost there for Many me. congratulations. It's been a long time since I've played chess. Professor Brendan Stubbs, thank you so much. Where can we find you online, by the way? Uh, so find me on Instagram, Dr. Brendon Stubbs, uh, and also LinkedIn if anyone would like to connect. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 
Now, if you like a little bit of a walk, I know lots of people are walking. I know this heat, it's difficult, but, you know, everyone's talking about getting in those steps. I don't have that watch. I'm like, nah, I don't want anybody to monitor me. Um, You might like a bit of a stroll, but this is more than a stroll because... You could join in this weekend with the Global Walking Meditation. It's taking place this Saturday. Now, so far, just under, uh, no, maybe about 158, 160 countries are taking part and 82,000 people have signed up. It was created by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And to find out more about this walk is Niamh is Neem Brosnan, a NeuroChange Solutions Consultant in the training. She'll be graduating very, very shortly. And she recently trained with Dr. Joe Dispenser. Welcome. How are you? I'm great, Poonam. Thank you. So before we go into Dr. Joe Dispenser, which I'm so intrigued about, you went from working in the travel industry to becoming or training now as a NeuroChange Solutions Consultant. So I want to know, where did that change in your path come from what you know what intrigued you to go down that road because it's completely different it is and it's a work that's interested me all my life and what made me go for this change is finding his book becoming supernatural and realizing what made you pick up that book in the first place because i feel that books come to us we don't go to them it was recommended by a friend okay there you go and when i so that this book was based on neuroscience yeah. and that he has researchers at advance and he's co- constantly evolving, that totally had my attention. Okay. So it wasn't somebody thinks or feels there was real science behind it. Um, so you read the book, then what happened? Because I want to know how you went from reading a book to working with the man. <gasps> I've listened to the book. I read the book. I then found out he did advanced r- retreats around the world. So I... Booked on the first available course, which was in Niagara Falls. I did my progressive and intensive course so I could attend this event. And during that time, I also created a mind movie because I saw he had uh, some other companies that were really of interest to me. And one of them was NeuroChange Solutions. Mm. So in my mind movie at that time, I put in, I want to be a NeuroChange Solutions. I love this work and it's helped me to transform And I've been really inspired by the transformations I've seen other people make. So this is following my passion. So let's go back a little bit. For those people who don't know what Dr. Joe Dispenza does, how would you describe his work? He's a New York Times bestselling author, researcher, lecturer, and corporate consultant. Dr. Joe's work has led him to develop practical formulas to help people transform their lives. And his mission seeks to unify many branches of science in very similar ways with a focus on research and the data behind spontaneous remissions. So inspired by the latest findings in neuroscience and epigenetics and quantum physics, his work integrates essential knowledge that teaches us how we can heal our bodies of health conditions and make significant sustainable changes in our life. And it's interesting because I didn't know he was a chiropractor originally. Yes. So yes. He, he uses a lot of, obviously it's the power of your mind. You know, some people might call it mystical. You know, if people talk about manifesting your life and everything, there's definitely something in that whole energy field that we all have. So before I go into this, you're studying neurochange solutions. You're going to qualify shortly. What is that? What will we get from you? What will you be able to do for us as that consultant? So it's a two-day workshop. It's teaching people when they change their mind 
they can create a new life and get different results. So when you say change your mind, let, let's say oh, let's say somebody's out there saying, I'm never going to get that job. I'm just not good enough. Is it just reinforcing the opposite and keep saying it until you believe it? It's changing how we think. And when we change our thoughts, that changes the actions and behaviours that follow on. And it leads to new behaviours, which creates different thoughts and um, emotions in our body. But I'm a great believer. Let's say if you want to change a thought, you have to believe believe that, that whatever it is you want or is coming to you will come to you. And sometimes just changing the thought, changing words, it doesn't resonate with you. How, how do we shift that? Great question, Poonam. So what you do is you have an elevated emotion with the thought. So I think the thought, what, what do I want to attract into my life? Mm. I combine it with an elevated emotion. Now that's changing the vibrational energy. So when you say elevated, you're saying the excitement of having it. Yes. So it's and in the walking meditations, he talks about people walking into their future. Oh. So he talks about you, you create an attention and it may be love, it may be peace in the practice walking meditations we've been doing in Jumeirah 3, people have been selecting their own intention and seeing it already happening. Now when you walk in that energy and you add the positive emotion, that's now what you're attracting into your life. Can you give me an example of someone who's done that and how they've done it, like walking, that intention? Like, Give me an example that you've seen. I'm sitting here today. Oh, my goodness. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I'm going to try this. (laughs) Okay. So when the walking meditation, the global walking meditation um, was released, and I decided, well, I get a couple of my friends together. I'd seen a few who had tried it and really loved it. And I thought, well, I'll put the walk in for Jumeirah 3 and maybe get 15, 20 people. And then I thought, how cool if this got a little bit bigger. And by the end of August, we had over 100 people. Wow. And I'm going, okay, now I need to get some permissions. And I was struggling with that. And I meditated on it. I did it. I just put it out there. I wanted to attract somebody who could arrange that for us. And the following day, I got a message from somebody on the group saying, have you got permission? Would you like some help? And he's taken care of all of that for us. Okay, so do you want to know what I manifested, which it really won't change my life in any way? Yesterday, somebody had, no, this morning, somebody walked past me with a falafel. And I went, oh, I've had the best falafels in the world somewhere. And I can't remember where it was. I couldn't remember. An hour later, I realized it's our competition prize at the same restaurant. I was like, that came quick. But <laughs> it's because I didn't have any expectations. I'm a great believer that when you put an expectation on something you want, it doesn't come. And it's, that's what I found with me. When mm-hmm. I just said, oh, I'd love that. And I don't really cling on to it. It mm-hmm. happens. How, how, you know, and that's a hard thing to do because there are certain things I really do want. <laughs> So for me, with Dr. Joe Dispenza's meditations, it's something completely different than I had experienced previously. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, okay, so you're in your meditation, I'm getting into a much deeper level. So when you get to the between the conscious and the subconscious mind, yeah. and his meditations are designed that you can access the operating system so that we can change programs that are already in our sub- subconscious mind, which are there since we some of them we were kids. Um, And that is the beauty. So you're creating the new intention Mm. and it's replacing the old intention. So by having the positive thoughts and no longer having the negative thoughts, Mm. our brain starts to prune away the connections that we're no longer thinking about. And it's creating new neural connections in the brain. What's this book that triggered it for you again? What was the name of it? Becoming Supernatural. 
Is it worth us all reading it? The book for most people to start with will probably be Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Mm-hmm. Becoming Supernatural has a lot of the science and the data. So it really depends on do you want to see the graphs? Do you want to see what's happening in the brain? Do you want to see the changes that have happened through meditation and how the brain structure has changed? So if you want to get into that level, I would highly recommend it. Okay. Tell me about the walk. Like, when is it happening? What time? How do people register? Okay. So Walk for the World, it's a global event. It's happening on Saturday, the 23rd of September. This weekend? This weekend, yes. At 6 p.m. local time in Dubai. Nice time. And for most countries around the world, it is happening at the same time. I think in Australia, they're doing it at a different time purely because of the time differences. Mm. And... In Dubai so far, um, there are 10 groups and there's three in Abu Dhabi. But your question, how do you register? Mm. You go on to Walk for the World website. Walk for the World. You move down and you can register your name and then you will get updates uh, with the meditation file. You move down and there's a map and you just type in, example, Dubai, Mm. United Arab Emirates, And it will bring up a map and show you the locations so you can find a walk that's taking place near you. And if you'd like to register a group for a walk, you can do that um, through the website as well. And is it a mindful walk? Are you going to guide people through it? We get an audio file, which Dr. Joe has created. While you're walking, you listen. Yes. Can I get this audio from you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it starts off, um, you're standing with eyes closed Mm. and hands on your heart, you're listening to an instruction and you're allowing love to flow through your body and you're connecting to a beautiful energy. And he guides in breathing, so we're slowing our brainwaves down. Mm. And this will happen for some time. And then the music momentum will change. Eyes wide open will be given as an instruction. And then maybe 30, 40 seconds later, you'll be given an instruction to walk. And it may be walking in your future. So this global walk, so the intention, I can choose peace. I can choose love. Whatever it is I want, but I walk as if it's already happened. Oh, I love this. And how long does the walk last? This one has been um, specially recorded for this global event. Mm -hmm. It's 50 minutes in total. And it'll be a combination of walking and standing, of probably equal. Where does your walk leave from in here? The one I've organised is in Jumeirah Beach. Where, uh, sorry, Jumeirah 3, yeah. over on the beach. Yeah. Um, um, we will be walking on the sand on the beach. And then you give the headphones to everybody so they listen. Very good point. I'm glad you said yeah. that. Everybody downloads the file on the phone. onto their phone. Do you know what? I'm really interested just because there's an audio to explain everything because mm. I, I need what's the focus. And I think that's great. Mm. Oh, this is exciting. And it's 50 minutes, which means I won't melt. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting cooler as well. So. Oh, amazing. So just remind us again for the website because I'm definitely going to log on to it. Walk, walk for the world. Walk for the world. And then go down and there's details and you type in yes. Dubai. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. So if you're a mum and you've always wanted to become an entrepreneur, our next guest, Dana, is here to help. She is the founder of Mumpreneurs here in the UAE. And she's brought along a fellow mum, her friend Jovi, who's the founder of a place, of actually a platform I've never heard of, called Mums 
Bizarre welcome, ladies. Happy to be here. So I, I want to know, um, I want to know, Dana, first of all, how did you create Mompreneurs? Because we met and you told me about this about two, three years ago now about Mompreneurs. And I was like, oh, we need to get you on the show. What's the story behind it? I created, I'm a, I was a, I'm a mother entrepreneur. The mother entrepreneur still is. So I, I realized how important it is to have a support uh, network. And I had a small group of women I was doing book club with. And then one day I said, how can we increase this? And then we organize a networking event. And then we create a Facebook group. And then we create a WhatsApp group. And it's just like it was like, a, you know, like snowball effect. We just kept increasing and increasing after we saw many women, many mothers wanted to be part of something, to connect with one another, to support one another and get inspired by each other's stories. But what's your background um, as an entrepreneur yourself? Um, I go back to being a trainer as an engineer, working corporate for 18 years, uh, corporate gave up, uh, was a coach and I got so many... Uh, I, got uh, certifications and the interest on on business so the entrepreneurial side of what i am is being a business coach all right now let's talk to jovi i've never met you before jovi Mm. who's sweating because she's had to walk about 10 minutes in the wrong the wrong location was sent to her okay (laughs) tell us about mom's bazaar is it am i pronouncing it right is it bazaar Yes, perfectly Ooh, pronounced. A buzz yeah, to it. It's a pun in it, right? It's okay. a bazaar and a mum. So is it because you're all bizarre or you're buzzing around? I'm we're to buzzing that. around. We're always busy. We're <laughs> queen bees. That's how it works for us. So mumsbazaar.com, actually, I'm for myself. I was an accidental entrepreneur. I was into PTA, vol- doing voluntary work in my children's school until COVID hit. And there was no winter soup. There was no spring fair. So I was surrounded by creative mums. In the school, and right. we all wanted to let's do something. Well, there's pandemic. Maybe we can sell online, and that's how it started. And my background is e-commerce, so that's how Moms Bazaar really started with a handful of creative moms in the school, and we started selling online. They're what they're passionate about, the crafts that they've been doing. Those are the first. 12 moms I've listed in Moms Bazaar. So you have 12 on there at the moment. Yes. And what kind of things do they make or sell? So they have handcrafted stuff. They do resin coasters. They do curated gift boxes. They do crochet stuff as well. So Mm. it's a mix of handcrafted items and also a lot of mindfully curated gift uh, um, special items that we can sell in a gift box. Okay. So Donna, you have an event coming up. I think it starts today. Yes. Are you going straight there after this? Uh, we just completed. We came here after that, the event, after the first day. So it's, is it a Business 360 boot camp? Yes. So what's it about? It's over two days, right? So tell yes. us what are women learning from this? Uh, it's learning. It is the topic of this, of this year. Last year we had an, uh, another one. And this year it's about being a mindful mompreneur. So they learned uh, the holistic way to be a mindful mompreneur. Uh, building your business and finding your own identity and making an impact and doing sales and uh, lots of lots of things. Being an entrepreneur is not easy. There's so many times I've thought about I'll do something on the side. And when I talk about it with somebody, I'm like, nah, I'm not even a mom. And it gives me a headache thinking about it. So I want to know some top tips from you ladies. Like you're going to be speaking there, Jovi. What kind of things would you tell parents, tell especially mothers before before starting a business, because there's also a lot of guilt related to moms, um, I'm sure dads too, when you're away from the kids. 
Yes, that's true. But if you're really passionate about something, have a go. Ask for mentors as well. It's very useful. This is how I came to know Dana because she's one of the lovely mentors that we have. And also, it's very important that you have a business plan. You can have it in a, just a small paper, write what you want, what you want to achieve, and seek out help from others. There's just really amazing moms out there, women entrepreneurs who are really willing to help. So just reach out in networking and communities. That will be fab. But you know, when people start a business, a lot of them are putting something like 12 to 15, 16 hours a day when they start a first business. How do you do it and balance the family? Any tips on that? I I say just being mindful. It's like to the, uh, the topic of our bootcamp is still doing it, but doing with a sense of peace, of this sense of purpose, and uh, being very focused on what you do. So, for example, spending time with children. Yes, you can spend. I before having a business, I spent the whole day with my son, but I didn't feel connected. I was like, oh, when is this gonna end? And uh, and now. I, I spend 10 minutes, but it's really a focused time. It's a quality time. So, yes, you do things, but you're really focused and you know what you want to do. So I guess, like uh, Jovita said, one of the tips to have to be focused and don't waste time on, uh, on things, knowing what works for you or doesn't. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned about being a woman and being a mom um, after starting your business that's, that's changed, that you wouldn't have thought of 10 years ago? Because a lot of my friends, for example, like one studied a postgraduate. I mean, she was in her 30s, had a child. And then for two years, bless her, after her first baby, she was depressed because she hadn't used that postgraduate. She was just changing nappies. And she goes, what am I doing here? So some mothers love to have a sense of purpose and identity. Mm -hmm. Others, like my mum, her purpose was her children. And she never craved, you know, anything else. Mm -hmm. So it's where you find that satisfaction. So what is it that you've learned about yourself that let's say you didn't, like I didn't realize I was an ambitious person at all. Mm. I always wanted to settle down and have kids. The opposite has happened. So these are things that I've learned about my character. What would you say you've learned? I think for me, it was very important that I was, I think I was surrounded by people that I feel that I can kind of like change their lives. There's this calling. I felt that. I didn't know that there was a calling like that. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur, to be honest, because yeah. it's, it's very, very hard. But then there was a sense of calling. And then I responded to that calling and started something. It might not be perfect, but it's a slow step for me. Mm. And from 12 mompreneurs, I already have like over 180 mompreneurs in the platform. Wow. So that's that's something I think. You, the gut feeling that the you intuit- have. The yes, intuition. Yes, it does. It does work. What about you, Donna? I really, really have a similar experience with Jovi. It's the purpose what I have. I really, really care about mothers to have to be financial free. Because it's because, been tough for you. I remember your story. It was yeah, tough. Yeah, and I am. I, I this is because what I seek as well. So it's a daily activity. It's a daily thing. But once you like, it clicks. Once you know it, then mm. you do. You spend a. 14 hours, 16 hours, but because it's it's very dear to your heart, that gives you the energy and that gives you the passion and that gives you the strength to go back again. Because in entrepreneurship, is like you said, it's not easy. Yes, there are ups and downs. Things happen and do things out of con- what, what makes us do things out of our comfort zone every day. Yeah. Like this event, what we are doing two days, uh, it's, I never organize anything like this, right? <laughs> so I'm doing that like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> and and, I, was like, and, and I'm, I keep reminding myself, it keeps coming back to me. It's because of mother entrepreneurs, because of and to others it's because i really care about the people i serve Mm. so how can people contact you if they want to get involved both of you first of you donna 
online? Uh, yes, online. It's Mampreneurs underscore UAE on Instagram, on Facebook, Mampreneurs uh, UAE. And we are launching a new platform. So I'm just putting out there to, you know, like a teaser. Teaser. So, yeah. <laughs> and JV? Yeah, for me, for moms and creative makers who would like to have a platform to showcase their uh, services and uh, work, uh, contact momsbazaar.com. Uh, we are also on Instagram and Facebook. And can I ask, is it just for moms or can just women join in as well? For mompreneurs, yes, all women can join. It's just that uh, our timings, the, the topics of discussion might not be relevant to them. And But we are not, they can come, we are not discriminating. Okay. Them, but I'm, they not find 100% being represented in it. I'm just asking in case I need to have a baby so I can join in nine months. Okay, <laughs> so I don't. Okay, thank you, lady. <laughs> thank you. You're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan where the number one ingredient is always high-quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. Ah, food, food, food. Now, we have um, our vets here, Dr. Vito and behaviourist Annalisa from Vets and Pets uh, Veterinary Clinic on Al Wassel Road. Oh, where are we from? Where is it? Ananiva. Ananiva. You know you need to change that on, on your Instagram because it actually links to that. Oh, really? Yes, it does. Mm. Mm. You see, I didn't get it wrong. Mm. You got it wrong. (laughs) Okay, we'll see, we'll see. We're going to have to do some research on that. Okay, so where can everybody find you first? Where's the clinic? Uh, The clinic is in uh, uh, Jumeirah 3 Mm. on Wassa Road. Yeah, it says Jumeirah 3, Al Wassa Road. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yes, and uh, uh, we cooperate with uh, Ananiva, uh, which is a behaviorist. Actually, Anna doesn't work uh, with vets and uh, in, at vets and pets, but works with vets and pets. Yes. Yeah. So you, you, Anna, you focus uh, uh, specifically on the behaviour of animals, yes. right? Okay. For dogs and cats. Dog, just dogs and cats. Yeah. Do, do you come across rabbits with behavioural issues or anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. No, no. no. Usually the dogs and cats. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the behaviour first of all. Especially, you know, as human beings, when we're in pain, we'll mm. complain. We can easily express ourselves. What what kind of things do we need to look out for when it comes to our pets? You know, let's say they have a dental issue. Mm-hmm. What warning signs are there? Okay, so uh, this one is the difficult part. So understanding that uh, a change of uh, the behavior that they have is causing by a problem related by a pain that can be dental pain or uh, bones pain, so different kind of pains. Yeah. It's very difficult, especially on cats. Because with dogs, it's a little bit easier. Cats- they show more which is the problem and which is the cause of the problem. Is but cats are more... But uh, cats are moody generally, so you can't really tell, can you? Nothing. They're like us. They're just hormonal, I Yes, think. <laughs> yes. It's a way that they use for... Um, um, so for defense themselves, so it's something that they normally do. So don't show that uh, I'm vulnerable. I I don't have to. I cannot show that one because we have to remember that cats are predators, but they are also they have they they have also predators of cats. So is so, a reason. So they try they, what they try to do is showing always that everything is fine, everything is okay. And uh-huh. when when they cannot. What they do is uh, starting to hide a lot. Really? So if you start to see your cats, for example, if we can talk about a problem on dental, etc. Yeah. If you start to see your cats that is changing and is starting to hide a lot, to don't be so active, um, yes, to don't show himself also to you, 
most of the time there is a, a problem related on a vet problem. What about their eating habits? Does that change if they're in also, pain? Also, so for example, they start to stop to eat uh, dry food. A cat that maybe before was eating very well dry food, they stop to eat it because it's difficult for them. They have pain in the mouth. So they start to prefer to eat uh, wet food. And people normally think that, oh, maybe it was tired to eat this kind of food. They like to change. They are not humans. Mm. They are not like, okay, everyday pasta is too much. I want to eat something else. Yeah. No, for cats, it's not like that one. So if also this kind of thing are changing, it's like an, uh, an alarm that you have to listen and to observe. And uh, yes, and uh, go down to the vet. A lot of uh, I have a lot of cases where they call me first because thinking that the problem is a behavior problem, just behavior. And then the first things that I detect that maybe there's a vet problem. So I send immediately the vet or the, the cat or the dog to the vet for a check. Does does the pain like for us as humans sometimes just make us depressed? Do they can they get depressed? And if they do, what does that look like? Is it similar if, symptoms? Uh, if the pain is uh, is there for very long, long time, at a certain point, yes, they can also become depressed. But um, this one is uh, so seeing a, de- a depressed cat is um, is not so common. So we talk about depression, but. Um, a depression disease is very serious on cats and on dogs also. So it's not like for humans, okay? It's not just feeling a little bit down, no. When they go on depressed, it's serious, the situation, really? very serious, because it's very difficult to take out from a depression situation wow. mm, a dog or a cat. So if for this reason, observing your pet all the time, if there is something that is changing, please call somebody that can observe in another way, in a professional way, mm. and then go ahead with what is, uh, is supposed to do to fix the problem. Wow, I didn't know th- they got that depressed and it was hard to get out yeah. of them. Um, Dr. Vito, are you seeing any common issues coming into the clinic right now? Uh, well, uh, talking about... You know, the, the, talking about dental problem, um, yes, that is very common. Unfortunately, it's uh, uh, underestimated as a problem. Sometimes it's very difficult for the clients or the pet owner to, uh, to identify that. That's why they are, we are there. Uh, so during the simple vaccination, you know, uh, consultation, yeah. during the vaccination, we normally assess, uh, assess the, the teeth and, uh, and, uh, and see whether indeed they need, uh, they need some, uh, some to be addressed, you to be addressed, you know. The same uh, way we regularly see the dentist, should they be coming to see you? Absolutely. How often? Absolutely. Well, uh, we take advantage at vaccination time, you know, that is the, the most simple things when we do like uh, our, you know, uh, prophylaxis, you know, vaccina- vaccination, deworming, fleas and ticks, uh, we check, you know, we check normally the pet uh, nose to tail. And uh, uh, most of the time, you know, the teeth are the is important. It's a very important topi- uh, topic, because why uh, it's so important, it's so common. If you think that if you think that uh, eighty five up to eighty five percent of dogs and cats over four and a half year old they present some period some de- uh, degree of periodontal disease. Eighty five percent. As an owner. Are you allowed to occasionally, it's going to sound silly, uh, brush your pet's teeth? Oh, no, silly at all. Actually, this is what we, we suggest. We suggest. Really? Because I yeah. thought they could just chew on the, 
the you know the toys and the the food that's good for their mm-hmm. teeth anyway. Well, that is great. That is great. If you have something to to you know to to give to your pet some some uh, some brand they have like a dental uh, dental food that is great. Okay, so you can do that. And most mm-hmm. of the time, that is effective when the teeth are clean. So to keep the teeth clean, but if the teeth are already you know there's some build up of plaque of tartar that is a is more uh, complicated. Even uh, you know I don't want to put in a bad spell on dental sticks, but mm-hmm. uh, you know dental sticks were was an amazing idea. But they are just effective if they can chew, they, they are chewed up to twenty minutes. Ah. Less than twenty minutes are not really effective. And to be honest with you, I see, I see many dogs they get rid of one dental yeah. stick in a couple two minutes. Two minutes. It looks yeah. more like a treat rather <laughs> than a, than, a, than a dental stick. I mean, I don't know? even floss every day. I'm so lazy, so I don't blame <laughs> the dogs. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so if you want to ask uh, Anna and Dr. Vito, uh, they're here till about quarter to ten to five. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. So I've Dr. Vito and behaviourist Annalisa with us today. They're answering all your questions. Text us on 4001. So Nain says, um, we have two guinea pigs, love the name, uh, Pancake and Waffle. Uh, we lost one of them, Waffle, two days ago. I'm just thinking when she says lost, does she mean they probably passed mm. away? Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. And the one with us now is just lying in the hideout, quiet, seems very lonely, trying to feed him, um, but he's really not responding. Can you give me any advice? Is he mourning? Yeah, so uh, we are talking about dogs or cats? Um, talking about guinea pigs. pigs, guinea pigs. Uh, wow. So in any case... Uh, animals, we have to understand that animals have um, mm, approximately close to all the feelings that we have. So losing uh, a brother, a sister or a companion yeah. is really, really uh, hard also for them, especially if they grow together, if they, was, if they have a very good relationship. So mm-hmm. how helping? You have to imagine that uh, you have a children. That is in this situation. So a lot of love, a lot of attention. Don't ignore the situation. Mm. It's very important. Check if uh, uh, he starts a little bit to come out from this uh, mood that is in, uh, in that moment. Eventually, only eventually in the future, thinking to maybe provide another um, friend or uh, another yes another companion for uh, for this pet but not immediately okay um is it okay to feed cats raw salmon or raw chicken from grace mm. okay yeah is yeah, is fine but uh, there's something that we have uh, to to be focused on first of all the quality of the food has to be very high quality because this kind of food, as they are raw, they can also transfer bacterial, etc. So we have to be sure about that one. And then we have uh, to um, to have uh, a vet that is um, is specialized in uh, in a food, so that can help. Uh, to provide also the supplements that we have to introduce when we are feeding our pets with raw food because this food is not totally complete. There are, for example, cats that absolutely need the taurina and we have to provide that one as a supplement and also other supplements. So we have to be sure that everything that we are giving them is complete. 
of what is their diet. That's interesting. My sister bought um, her dog from a breeder who's a naturopath. She sprays the dog's paws. There's no, he's never had a vaccine when he goes outside. The food is all naturopathic. I don't know. I have no idea, but the dog looks healthy. Good. My sister doesn't, though. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. You still have plenty of time to get your questions in for our experts. We have Dr. Vito from Vets and Pets Veterinary Clinic on Al Wassel Road with us and Anna, who is a behaviour specialist in cats and dogs. And you can find her at Anna Happy Paws. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. So we had a message from Janelle, which I want to play. And let's see what you have to say, experts. I would love some advice, please. We just adopted our third rescue dog on Saturday and I have two female dogs. Angel is 11 and Snowy is 3. And we've just adopted a, a, a boy dog who is around about 18 months. We've called him Sunny. And the prior to this, both girls would sleep upstairs in the room with me. And after adopting Sunny, I left the three of them downstairs because I thought this was best for them to get used to each other. Um, but unfortunately, Angel, our senior dog, has been crying and very upset and also has been causing stress to Snowy. So my question really is, do I take the two girls upstairs and leave Sunny downstairs on his own? Or what's the best way to ensure a smoother transition for sleeping? And then also with regards to feeding, Angel and Snowy never have any issue in being fed together. And right now I put Sunny outside, close the door and let him eat outside. And I feed the girls inside as normal. How can I feed the three of them together and make sure that there's no issue with any um, fighting over food? Thank you so much. I don't think Angel and Sunny, Angel and Snowy like Sunny. Yeah. I don't, that's the, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, so I answer, okay. So um, you have to change a little bit the introduction that you are making. So uh, the best solution when you are making an introduction is going a little bit slowly, but don't change the routine of the pets that are already living in the house. So uh, they, you have to maintain their routine and then you have to introduce the new one in this routine. And uh, so also during the night, if you don't feel that there is any kind of tension uh, between the dogs, Take all of them with you, not only the girls, and not to separate the girls from you in these nights. And for the feeding is exactly the same. So the only thing is uh, provide the food maybe in the same place, in the same room, but in a different feeding station. So the bowls of the food doesn't have to be close to each other one by one at the same time, but in the same environment. So the girls doesn't have to change their routine and the new one has to be introduced in this kind of routine. Um, Dr. Vito, maybe this one's for you, but both of you actually. Um, our neighbours just let us know that our cat has been attacking theirs and other neighbours on our road. And as a result, the cat, I don't know why I'm laughing, but there's obviously a bully here. The cat has had to visit the vet four times and now needs stitches. So our cat is quite a big male cat. It was a rescue at about six months old and it has been neutered. He's very soppy with us. He sleeps on the bed, very cuddly, but seems very aggressive towards female cats. Um, I have him booked in to get his claws clipped, ordered Feel Feliway plugins. Do you yep. know what those are? Yep. And have told the neighbours we'll lock him in at night when it seems most of the attacks are happening. Is there anything we can do? 
Well, um, yes, I think we are on the right path here. Um, what is Filiway? Uh, Filiway is actually a pheromone. You know, cats communicate with this, uh, you know, uh, smells. Let's call it, let's call it smells, a pheromone mm-hmm. that they produce. They produce uh, um, different kind of pheromones, but uh, just a couple of them, they've been synthesized. And uh, one of them is uh, synthesized for the upper lip. It's called Feliway Classic. Yeah. And the other one is called Feliway Friend. So I would probably recommend to use Feliway Friend that is synthesized by the, you know, the mammary gland. And that is uh, uh, basically a pheromone that helps uh, uh, the, the bonding between mother and uh, uh, kittens. And therefore, when the, an adult cat smells it um, or get in contact with it, it is more, uh, let's say, um, uh, open to friendship and more toler- you know, tolerates better a new cat in the environment. It can be the same household or uh, in the neighborhood. So that is definitely a good thing to do. Uh, cat- uh, clipping the nails uh, uh, we have a, is a kind of a... Um, uh, tricky situation because I would say yes. Okay, first things. Okay, if I cut my you know, the, 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 the the clothes short, uh, will uh, will uh, you know? Yeah, stop yeah. him from scratching. Yeah, but at the same time, he won't be able to defend himself. Oh. At the same time, will be able to. So he will to, be the bully. <laughs> or, or you know, he won't be able to cr- climb a tree if there is a dog nearby. You know, that is chasing him. Has it got anything to do with the fact that she was saying they're female cats and he's a boy? Um, well, um, normally, not necessarily, but uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, boys, uh, they have uh, a um, territorial behavior, a masculine territorial behavior that sometimes is not necessarily linked to, um, you know, sexuality. You know? Okay. And therefore, uh, it might be that there is this, you know, um, you know, I don't know if Anna has got some... Yeah. Uh, no, but I think this this is mainly uh, the the thing. It does not necessarily mean that it's just female. Just females. No. This could be anyone that walks his past his yeah. way with a yeah. bad eye. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Sarah says our terrier mixed puppy is nine months old. Now, when training, he really struggled with a lot of weeing accidents in the house. So we didn't scold him. We just cleaned it up. We took him out regularly, and we praised him so much and gave him treats whenever he went to wee outside. Basically, everything you're told to do. He's now nine months old and he's still having the odd accidents in the house every other day. Um, It's a problem in itself, but what seemed to have gotten worse is the submissive and uncontrollable dribble or excited wheeze. And he does it every time he greets somebody or someone comes to the house and he gets excited. So she said, I tried tried the calm, ignore him approach and then let him come to you, but he still dribbles. He was castrated at six months, but I'm sure it's gotten worse since the castration. Any advice? Mm. Um, it's probably has been castrated a little bit too early. Okay. Oh, really? There's yeah. it too early for them? Well, I, uh, we normally recommend, especially large breeds, to wait mm. until one year. Because uh, uh, we grow uh, under the influence of a uh, growth hormone. Okay, So yeah. boys and girls grow in the same speed. You know, under the influence of the growth hormones, but when hit, we hit the puberty, even in human, the testosterone kicks in and uh, gives this uh, difference of phenotype. You know, so yeah. boys get you know the you know lower voice, uh, thicker joints. Happens the same in yeah. uh, in uh, in animals. Okay, so for especially for boys, I wait until they are grow, they are bigger, they are older, so at least one year, so they're. 
their bones are better formed, the muscle, are, you know, and so now we know that it's completely formed. Imagine in the first year they pass from being a tiny little puppy to probably 20 kilogram dog, okay? <laughs> so it's so important the yeah. first year, okay? That is the, you know, the first thing. That has been, it's been uh, neutral a little bit early to me. So when it's and too early, can it? stunt their growth in some some ways well not not com- not completely but definitely i'm pretty sure it's gonna is going to have an effect and it's been proved you know his studies shows that uh, especially in large breed they might have some uh, um, issue in the hips um in the knees uh, you know so i would rather rather wait rather wait okay uh, Lorraine says, my cat's fur has rubbed off all around the area where her collar is. Is there any solution to this? Because I really don't want it to be collarless, um, but it also can't be good for it to be rubbing her fur off. Any suggestions? Well, it depends on the, 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 the material of the collar so most of the time. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, That is the, the main thing. So I would probably, first of all, change the, the collar. Mm-hmm. Make sure the collar is a safe. If, you, if your cat goes outside, use uh, a safety collar. So those collars that uh, clip off if um, they get, you know, stuck somewhere, you don't, you know. I've seen a neighbor walking their cat on a lead. Why do people do that? Because there are people that uh, doesn't allow the cats going outside. um, But uh, um, they would like to spend, to share sometimes also outside like what they do normally people with dogs. And they try to do the same with the cats. So is that one the reason because they are scared to leave the cat going outside by by themselves and in this case they are supervised from the owner. So is is this one. And it's okay to do that? Mm, It depends. The correct answer is it depends if uh, the cat is comfortable because for a cat it's a little bit tricky to be on a leash. So there are some that, okay, maybe you start when they are still kittens and they they feel comfortable also with uh, with everything that can be the color, that can be the horn, that can be the leash, etc. But there cut. are others that absolutely doesn't like. Also because... Um, Walking for uh, for a, a, a cat is n- um, they explore in a different way than a dog because what they do when they are walking around uh, is exploring is uh, uh, reading from the message of the other pets that already passed there through a lot of uh, things uh, which kind of pets was passing there a good one a bad one a female a male and etc. But for a cat, it's a little bit different exploring the territory. So mm. they need more space. Mm. They, so it's, it's, a little bit, uh, it's a little bit different. So yeah. I have a confession to make to both of you experts. Um, I had two rabbits and I used to take them for a walk on a leash. The reason being is I wanted a dog and my parents said I was too young, so I pretended they were my dogs. That's very really cool. Actually, a rab- <laughs> no, a rabbit do an ama- amazing pet. Honestly. Rabbits? Yeah. Yes. But, you know, in England, we would keep them outside. I've heard you're supposed to keep them inside. Well, you know, in England, everything should be inside. Oh, know. no, they lived outside. <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> I didn't know anything about animals, and I just had so many. No, they are lovely pets. Honestly, lovely pets. You can train them to use the litter tray. It's incredible, you know, absolutely fine. You know, they're very low maintenance, you know, as well. Almost like a cat, you know. Interesting. Really, really good. Yeah, really. but they do poo a lot. Yeah, but you can train if you train them. Really? The tra- yes, of I course you can. Yeah, yeah. You could train it's absolutely rabbits. fine. Okay, well, listen, thank you so much. We ran out of time. Loads of questions. We'll have to bring you guys back in again. Please tell everybody again. Anna, where can we find you? 
you can find me on uh, Instagram on uh, Anna Happy Pose, or you can contact also the clinic of Dr. Vito. They have everything, and uh, they cooperate. We cooperate a lot. So you work together. Yes, yes. And yes, Dr. Yes. Vito, where can we find you? Um, I'm always at work. <laughs> bad, bad joke. Bad joke. I'm Twenty-four in hours a, ju- a day, he'll yeah, be there. Just a, knock on the door. Yes, uh, Bet and Pet in uh, Jumeirah Three was a road. All right. Thank you so much. Thank I'll you. See you Thank again you soon. Tune in every weekdays to Helen Farmer from 2 to 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.